this morning. So I've titled the message, As Wise as Serpents and As Gentle as Doves. That's, that's kind of what we're going for this morning. Believe it or not, Jesus said that. So what I'm going to do first is I'm going to turn to John chapter 14, and I'm just going to share some stuff out of John chapter 14. Um, you know, the Christian church is called to exemplify greater things. Has anybody ever heard that? That we are called to exemplify greater things, right? Greater things, not good things, but greater things. I'm going to take you to the passage here in John chapter 14. I know a lot of times we say that we have the good news, which we do, of course. But we're actually called to exemplify and bring forth greater things in this world. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 here. Jesus says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you where I am. There you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the work that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So this week... I sat back and I looked at life, right? I looked at all that's going on in the world. I looked at my life, the obstacles I'm being blessed with in my life, right? Right there, you already see a change. The obstacles that I'm being blessed with in my life, right? I actually have this saying, I'm a part of a program, and one of the things we say in that, sa- that program is obstacles make us faster, stronger, and wiser. So anytime I'm going through a situation, I say, okay, well, this is going to make me faster, stronger, and wiser. How I don't know always at that, that moment. It doesn't always feel the best to go through an obstacle, but we know that When we have a renewing of our mind, we know that God is using this. Again, Romans 8 says that all things work for the good of those that love God. So we have to say, I believe that. I believe that when Jesus said, those who believe in me will do the things that I do, but they will also do greater things than these. I believe that. And we have to be accountable to say that we believe that as God's church. We believe that we're going to bring forth greater things into this world. So I looked at my obstacles. I looked at the chaos of the American political scene. I looked at our social atmosphere and so much more. I had conversations with people. You know, I had the privilege of sitting down and having conversations, hearing things about people's lives, hearing their opinions on the world. And honestly, at the end of the week or probably around Friday, I said to myself, I feel that we have to say something greater. We have to say something greater than the world. We can't be saying the same thing the world's saying. Hopefully we're not saying the same thing the world is saying. Hopefully we're not saying the same thing whatever our political candidates are saying, that we're saying something greater. As Christians, as the church, what is the greater thing that needs to be said? What are the greater things that need to be brought forth? And then I asked, I said, well, what in the world would that be? 
What is the greater thing? And again, we, we know that we have the good news, right, the gospel. I imagine I'm not preaching to the choir, or I am preaching to the choir here, um, that we all know the gospel. We know the truth that this world needs the gospel. The world is wicked and needs to undergo a renewing of the mind and to submit to the word of God. We know that, right? So then what greater things? And what I want to get you doing this morning is I want you to consider what are some of the greater things that you believe the people of God are supposed to exhibit in this world? We're, we're pretty familiar church with scripture. So hopefully you're conjuring up some of those scriptures right now. You know, uh, we're supposed to be a people that think about things that are pure. We're supposed to be a people that are bringing forth things that are lovely, things that are joyful, things that are edifying. Those are the things that we should be doing. So whatever your greater things are, they should be things that are loving. They should be things that are peaceable. They should be things that are edifying. They should be things that bring forth joy. You know, I could go down the list. Hopefully you know the fruits of the Spirit and you're familiar with it. So as I began thinking through this, praying and finding some scriptures to inspire my thinking. Actually, I want to stop there and challenge you with something. If you ever get to the point, and I imagine most people in the room get to that point, where you get to the point you're maybe you're reading social media like I do. I'm looking at social media. I'm reading the news. I'm watching the news. And you get to a point where you start to wonder, what am I supposed to be thinking about right now? Because, again, you know, the news has a way of getting you to start thinking about other stuff, junk, right? So as a Christian, we say, what am I supposed to be thinking about right now? And challenge myself. And then the first thing, I, well, what I would tell you you should be doing is conjuring up verses. What are the verses that come to mind when you ask yourself, what should I be thinking about right now? I hope everybody in our church knows Philippians 4.8. Right? Have we pounded that verse out? You know, Philippians 4.8, think on these things, that which is pure, that which is lovely, that which is edifying, that which is peaceable. There's a couple others I just forgot, but I could say those fast. So, uh, you know, again, that's what I want us to do. I want us to become a people that when we watch the news, when we, we hear the news, when we, we become frustrated in conversation with our friends, family, church, wherever it might be, that we become a people that say, I need to get some verses. I need to get, you know, have some verses that would point me in the right direction of the things I should be saying, thinking, bringing forth greater things, right? We have to bring forth greater things. Well, Israel was called to bring forth an elevated wisdom, right? We've talked about this, an elevated wisdom. They weren't called to wander around warring with other nations based on their prideful thoughts of whose kingdom was bigger, right? Because Israel was a small nation, so they obviously couldn't do that either. They were very small people. So they couldn't wander and start saying, you know, our kingdom's the best. We're just going to go to war with nations. They were supposed to be a people that God went before them, right? God went before Israel. He gave them a law. He said, follow this law. I will be your, I will be your God. You will follow me. I will guide you into prosperity. I will bless you. I will be with you. Um, he, he talks about how other nations, that if they begin a war with Israel, that those nations would be put asunder. They would be destroyed, be cast off, because they're not walking in tune with what God was doing. God's program was, Israel is going to be my people, and I am going to bless them. I'm going to give them a wisdom, an elevated wisdom above the nations. Again, because you look at all the other nations around Israel. You have uh, Assyria in the, the north, right? The Assyrians, that's all they were. They were a warring people. They, they had a fish symbol which meant basically they ruled the seas, they ruled everything. And then you had uh, you have Egypt over there, which again, very, you know, the pharaohs weren't known for being peaceable people. And, uh, you know, you had Syria, you have all these different areas that were very full of war. I, I guess a lot, a lot hasn't changed, huh? But either way, that, that region was captivated by war. And Israel was supposed to be a people that were not like those other people. They were not pointing to created gods and behavior modification as the, the pagans did, right? The pagans, you know... Let's just change our attitude, and maybe the gods will bless us. Let's bring a little bit more produce to the sacrifice, and our gods will bless us. Israel knew what they were supposed to do. They were given a call. Look to God, obey the law, and you will be the people of God. And the nations will look to you and see the truth of God. God gave Israel an elevated wisdom, which actually, if you look into it, the proper definition of spiritual, right, spirituality, is elevated. Outside of man. We've talked about this, right? It's something that comes from outside of man. Spirit is not something that's within man. 
Within you, you have wickedness. You have a heart, right? The heart is deceitfully wicked, as the prophet Jeremiah says. So you have this, this wicked heart. There's a spirit, something that's elevated above us, beyond us, outside of us, that gives us the wisdom of God. That's what we need. We need the wisdom of God, the true spirituality. Israel was called to embody that spirituality and then bless the nations with it. To have that elevated wisdom and then to exemplify what that elevated wisdom was to the nations around them. Again, I I mentioned it in our Sunday school this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says that the nations would look to Israel and he would say, what sort of God gives his people such a holy law, a holy truth? And he's so near to them. He's there. When they pray, he's there. The other nations didn't have that. Remember, they had like a wooden pole, praying to a pole, and, you know, feeding the pole. Things got weird in that ancient world. You know, they'd bring some food, lay it there because the gods were going to eat it. Really, all it was was the priest would come up and eat it or an animal or some, something. And, uh, you know, again, that's what Israel was called to stand against. They were supposed to worship the one true God, and to ex- they were supposed to be the image of their God. The people should look to the people of God and say, that's what we're supposed to be living like. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the greater things that we're called to. We talk about greater things. Those are the greater things that we are called to. We are called to do exactly what Israel did. Actually, in our Sunday school, we've been looking at all the verses, right? We've been looking at what Israel, Israel's a holy nation. The church is called a holy nation. Israel's called to be a peculiar people. Church is called to be a peculiar people. You see that the transition. The church is called to be everything that Israel failed to be. And I think we, we've solidified that in our Sunday school. So as I thought this through... And prayed and said, you know, so we, the church, are called to be the, what Israel failed to be, to be the wisdom of God, true spirituality. I thought of the words of Isaiah. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 5, verses 20 through 23. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight, Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justifies the wicked for reward, and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Sound like anybody you know? Right? People that call evil good, good evil. People that are prudent and strong in their own eyes. You know, um, that's what we don't want to become, right? We see that. We don't want that. That sounds like our world today, though. As I, as I went through this week, that's, that's the verse that spoke to me this whole week. Well, the verse didn't speak to me, but hopefully you're getting my Christian lingo here, right? So, uh, you know, I read my Bible. I thought, what does, when I say the verse spoke to me, I mean, I prayed, I sat there, and I said, God, give me some wisdom. What is going on in this world? What do I need to be telling the people of God? Isaiah chapter 5 stood out. That woe to those people that call evil good and good evil. Hmm. Calling evil good, good evil. Darkness, we see darkness here too, right? Um, Light for darkness. You know that in the Bible, darkness is used as a euphemism for, uh, for confusion. Right? Confusion. Uh, people that are found in darkness is a people that are confused. A people upon which a light has shone, right? a, a great light has come, is a people that are being given clarity. Right? That's, you see that used a couple times throughout the Bible. The prophet Isaiah was speaking to a people, Israel at this time, right, regarding their responsibility to know the truth, have the light, and to bless the nations with it. They were supposed to be the light to the nations. Right? As we know, the church, right? Israel was supposed to be the light to the nations. The church is the light to the nations. So Israel was supposed to have a responsibility to be the light to the nations, yet again, we know that they did not do that. It seems that when people are given a job to bring forth greater things, for some reason, the people of God, we have this problem. We're called to bring forth greater things. Is the world looking at us right now? Do you think most of the world's looking at the Christian church and saying, yeah, they're bringing forth greater things? 
that's not what I heard this week. So, uh, you know, they, they, no. Nobody's looking at the church saying, those are the people that are bringing forth the greater things. We are. We are those people. We are bringing forth greater things. But the world is not seeing that. They're not seeing that. Sometimes I wonder why. But there's some things that are God's truth and meant to be a mystery with him. The people who bring forth greater things seemingly squander it and lay in the dust of decay with the world. It seems to be a common thing. Israel was given the truth. They were elevated. They decided, no, no, we want to live down there with those people and do the things they're doing, like worshiping Baal and offering sacrifices. They weren't content with, God wants you to sit here in heavenly places. I want you to be here with me, my truth, exemplify my truth. No, I'll go down there and deal with them. And the people of God do it today, don't we? You know what? God wants me to be here with him. He wants me to be seated in heavenly places. If you don't believe you're seated in heavenly places, go and read the book of Ephesians because it says the church has been seated in heavenly places. What does that mean? We've been put in the place of blessing, of prosper. We've been seated in the right place to have the right mind, to look at the world through the right lens. But how often do we find ourselves looking at the world the same way the news people are looking at the world, the same way the newspaper is looking at the world, the same way our friends that are unbelievers? You know, that, that's a big thing for me. If I'm sitting there and I have friends that – I have a lot of friends that are unbelievers, and I'm sitting there in a conversation and I notice, wow, we think alike. Something wrong. Something went very wrong there. Why are we thinking alike? I'm supposed to be a person that's exemplifying – the wisdom of God. So then, you know what I, where I want to get us with that is maybe we become the people who arbitrarily, sometimes, not always, hopefully, but we become a people who arbitrarily label good things evil and evil things good. I don't know that we've gotten that all in the right place. I don't know. I, I know, actually, I'll tell you this. I know the church has not gotten that in the right place. I have not placed that the prop, in the proper perspective because a lot of people in the church that are disagreeing on what's evil and what's good. So we've become that people. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Hopefully you're thinking through, what are some of the things that I call that are good that I might call evil? Hopefully you're challenging yourself this morning. You know this is a place of challenge, right? The church is not supposed to be a place where I'm supposed to sit here and pat you on your shoulder and tell you, don't worry, you did everything right this week and you thought everything was perfect. No, that's that, I don't know what, the, besides being a place of challenge, I don't know what we would create the church to be. The church is a place where you're supposed to come in here and say, have I been setting my mind on the author and finisher of my faith? Have I been setting my mind on the truth of God rather than what my wicked heart and my deceitful mind will tell me? Or am I offering that all week? Is that what you're offering to people all week? Is what your mind and your heart tell you? You know, I'm writing a book called Wicked, so I'm going to be the first person to tell you, you are wicked and you need to move away from that. Stop telling people what you think. Stop telling people what you feel. Tell people what the truth of God is because that's our role. You come into the church on the first week of the, right, the, first week of the month or the first, day of the first day of the week on the beginning of the month. There we go. You come into church. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we called to do here? And I just read to you John 14. John 14 said we are called to bring forth greater things. That's what we're doing here, bringing forth greater things. So I look at the world and I'm, I guess it's safe to say I'm frustrated. I look at the church, pretty frustrated. Like, man, I, these are the people that have the clarity. They look just as confused as the rest of the world. Jesus Christ also said that his kingdom is not of this world. John 18, verse 36. What that means is the kingdom solutions will not come from this world. We need to accept that, don't we, as the people of God? The kingdom solutions will not come from this world. And you know what? By and large, they won't be seen in this world. I know that's hard for a lot of people to accept. This must be the end times. It must be the end times. Because the world don't look the way that we want it to. But maybe we just need to get the church to be what the church is supposed to be. When the church becomes what the church is supposed to be, the world will look the way it's supposed to be. Because there's supposed to be wickedness. We're supposed to be the light in the midst of darkness. So we need to, right there, we need to already convince ourselves, maybe that's what we need to do. We need to convince ourselves to stop expecting the world to call evil, thing, evil things evil and good things good. 
And maybe we need to become a people who are calling the evil things evil and the good things good. That sounds about right, right? Because then it sounds like things will be get clear. Imagine if I messed that one up. We need to become a... <laughs> that would have been scary. So, uh, all right, so we need to become that people because the remnant is going to bring forth the solutions. The remnant, the people of God. How dare we look to the world and expect them to bring forth the truth that we're supposed to bring forth? How often I hear Christians talking about the world's not bringing forth the greater things. Like, what Bible are you reading? John 14 talks about the church. Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 14. He's not screaming at the whole planet. The Bible isn't a book that just landed here for anybody that desires to start picking it up and figuring it out. No. It's the truth of God revealed to God's people, demanding God's people to walk worthy of what he has for us. That's what we're doing. We need to become that people that are going to... I'm not looking at the world expecting the world to do anything. I'm looking at the people of God and saying, hello, are we, are we shaking each other enough? Are we reminding each other enough of what we're supposed to be doing? When Jesus Christ sent out his disciples to go and tell the nations the good news, he told them, I'm sending you out like wool, sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So as I enter into conversations on social media, I share my faith in public, I read, listen, and watch the news, I don't feel that it's an error to say that we're still being sent out as sheep among wolves. Living in the same world I am? Okay. So, uh... Therefore, the challenge to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves is still advice for us today. I actually read somebody online this week trying to rip that out of our hands. You know, that was just for the first century disciples. No, that's wisdom for us today because I'm out there in the world. And you know what? I see the wolves. They're there. They're still there. The wolves didn't end in the first century or all this crazy stuff people keep saying. No, they're still there. Trust me. Are you watching the same media I am? Okay. I guess that matters what media you're calling the wolves, right? But we'll do that another time. So, uh, however, hopefully we're seeing that there's still wolves in the world. So we still have the requirement to go out. Hopefully you believe we have the requirement to preach the gospel. You know, sadly, there's a lot of people that don't think that. Um, but we still have the job to get out there and tell people, you're wicked. You need to submit to the truth of Jesus because the truth of Jesus is what's going to lead us forward. Not what we think, not what we feel, the truth of Jesus. So what does it mean to be as wise as a serpent? Well, we look at the ancient world, we see serpents were crafty, right? You know that famous uh, Genesis chapter 2, 3 passage there everybody loves. The serpent came to Adam talking snakes. And uh, this crafty serpent does what? Deceives Eve. So we don't want to be deceitful, hopefully. Hopefully we got that, right? We're not serpents, but we want to be as wise as serpents. We want to be people that are, are being somewhat crafty, are, are thinking through things, are being wise, not wise in your own eyes, because again, if you remember, Isaiah chapter 5 says they were wise in their own eyes, prudent in their own sight. That's not what we want. You don't want to become a person that's wise in your own eyes or the wise of your, your unbelieving friends. Hopefully you're wise in the estimation of God, that you've submitted to Jesus Christ, that you've learned that the foolish things are actually the wise things, right? The, the gospel, the cross, those are the things that we need to be clinging to. That's wisdom. I have a lot of friends that think they're wise and they don't believe in the cross. I say, no, the Bible tells you you're a fool. You're a fool. Fool says in his heart there is no God. And then harmless as doves. That's the real essence of where I want to go with this. Harmless as doves. Gentle, meek. I don't know. When I see birds in the city, I don't think they're, they're harmless. That's just a personal opinion here. Um, I've always been afraid of birds. So I, like, for me, harmless as doves just sounds strange. But I, I, get, I get the feeling, right? I, I'm catching the concept there. As harmless as doves, that we would be a gentle, meek. Dare I say an understanding people? Are we called to be a people that are understanding you know, you watch street preachers, right? I watch all these street preachers. That They're the ones that everybody, when they want to, like, label Christians, they usually pick up a street preacher, right? Look at that guy. That's a Christian. 
usually the street preachers don't come off very understanding. Have you ever listened to a street preacher preach? I've been there. I actually was a street preacher. I used to preach on the streets, right? But one of the things that stands out to me is that when I would preach on the streets, I was understanding. I do believe that. I didn't yell at people. I wasn't trying to berate, berate people. I also listened to people. I'm going to get into that this morning. I want us to start thinking about gentleness as also being synonymous with understanding, maybe empathetic, right? Wouldn't you say that gentle is empathetic, right? You're, you're, you're feeling what the other people are feeling, or at least trying to feel what other people are feeling. So as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. So about a month ago, I gave out a little sheet of paper challenging our congregation to tell me topics that we should talk about, that we should bring up, that we should, uh, that we should be offering a true, authentic spirituality, right, that elevated wisdom of God in contrast to man-made wisdom, man-made traditions, what man thinks. Because unfortunately, a lot of times from Christians, I hear a lot more about what they think or feel than what the Bible says. I'm not really interested in what you think or feel. I remember I was at a Bible study, and somebody had said to me, uh, this is what I think it means. I said, I didn't ask you what you thought it meant. Um, you know, that's, that wasn't a part of the goal here. Um, you know, let it be understood that at Blue Point Bible Church, we walk, we walk seeking to exhibit a faith that builds upon the foundation of Christ and nothing else. That's our goal, because that's where we believe the source of truth is. If you remember about four weeks ago, I had preached a sermon um, about our source of truth, and I gave you two things. The renewing of the mind, right? Your mind needs to be renewed, because we know the truth of Scripture is spiritually discerned. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that if you don't have a renewed mind, you're not going to understand the things of God. Right? I have a, my friends, they pick up the Bible, like, where's this kingdom that's not of the world? I'm like, don't. There's, you have to go through a whole process before we get you there. You know, let's pray. Uh, so we, we need the renewing of our mind. But then the renewing of our mind will teach us that, hopefully, if you've undergone the renewing of your mind, you realize that I don't want to offer the world the wickedness that I can, I can give. Right? My favorite passage, John 10.10, 10, it says, uh, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it to the full. Who's the thief? Well, in your life, I'm just going to challenge you. You're going to come up with the answer. In your life, what has stole, killed, and destroyed what God had for you? Was it an angel that came down from heaven? Maybe he robbed you. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you have some better dreams than I do. Um, you know, maybe it was an angel. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor, right? Because I know a lot of people want to do that. It was next-door neighbor. It was the government. Government stole, killed, and destroyed everything God had for me. No, hopefully you really have recognized that enemy, haven't you? It's your mind. Your mind set on the things of the flesh. You are your worst enemy. You could become your worst enemy. So... Again, that, that carnal mind is the thief. That carnal mind is the enemy. I don't want to offer people the car carnality. But, uh, the Apostle Paul says that carnal mind leads to death and destruction. The spiritual mind, the mindset on the spirit, leads to life and peace. Sounds like what I, we want, right? Sounds like what the world wants. You just don't know how to get it. And it's our job to exhibit it. So we, we had these questions. Everybody gave me these topics that we should talk about. I have to say, how dare our church challenge me to talk about issues that really matter, right? Man. We could tell Bible stories all day, but when it comes to talking through some of the real-life stuff, that's when you're truly walking as sheep among wolves. I could tell Bible. I mean, I go out there, I talk about Noah, I talk whatever, you know, Jonah and a whale, right? Everything gets good. But when you really start to get, get down to the wire and say, what is Jonah really about? All of a sudden, you see the wolves come out. People get mad, you know, or you start talking about maybe some of the real-life stuff that we need to talk about. You, you know what you wrote on the paper. I'm not going to give all of it away, but you know some of the issues you wrote on the paper, the real-life stuff that we need to be talking about. Tell you that is when the wolves come out. You know, you know why? You know why the wolves come out at those points? Because mankind loves their wisdom. Mankind loves their wisdom. Mankind loves their thoughts, their desires, their kingdoms, their politics, their creeds. How dare we challenge the idle thoughts of man with the truth of God? Right? How dare you? 
Well, then, as Jesus Christ said, the student is not above the teacher. The servant is not above his master. If it has been, an, it's enough for the student to be like their teacher and the servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Jesus, let me unpack that for you. Jesus is preaching to the Pharisees. Their response is going to be, this man's doing his miracles and speaking this wisdom by Satan or Beelzebub, false gods. Right, false gods. He's being influenced by the father of lies. Jesus basically challenges them. Well, if well, he, he says to his disciples, he says, if they've said that about me, what do you suppose they're going to say about you? It's not going to change. They're going to st- keep saying the same thing. So every time I find myself in a moment where I'm getting upset that people aren't listening to the truth of God, I say, but wait a minute. Jesus said something about this. He said that if they didn't listen to him, they're not going to listen to me. They called him Satan. They're going to call me Satan. I've actually been called Satan. Um, I had a guy make a picture on the internet. You know, the internet will do some fun things. So, you see, we need to become a people that don't become so aggravated when people aren't listening to the truth of God. We just need to go back to Scripture and remember, oh, Jesus said this. He said that they're going to do this to me. Because, again, I, I do believe Matthew chapter 10 can speak to us today. No, you're not the 70 disciples being sent out to the nations, but you are the disciples being sent out to the nations. So, of course, that wisdom is still going to apply. We still need to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We still need to recognize that they didn't listen to Jesus the first time. They haven't listened to Jesus for 2,000 years. And you know what? They're probably not going to listen to Jesus for another 2,000 years. Sorry if that might have ruined someone's theology. But, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's what we need to become. We need to become a people that are as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So I'm not telling you this. I want to be clear here. I'm not telling you this so we can become a people that have this martyr syndrome, thinking that we're being persecuted at every point. Because I have a lot of friends that do that too. They're like... Well, Jesus was persecuted. You know, there's a difference between being annoying and being persecuted. Okay, we're going to clarify. If you're running around and you're telling everybody your favorite Bible verse all the time and you're arguing about the same five points that you feel need to be argued about, you're probably not being persecuted by the people that don't want to be around you. You're just being annoying. And that's why they're not coming around you. So let's not use that to create a martyr syndrome, right? That, oh, you know, they're, because I know some of us have family and friends, right, that are Christians and they would preach and then people might not want to hear them preaching. And what do they say? I'm being persecuted, persecuted Jesus. No, you're being annoying. <laughs> the Apostle Paul gave a lot of wisdom to the church at Rome. I imagine first century Rome was a wild place. It seemed like with all I've read about it. Filled with political chaos, poverty, people trying to live the Roman dream, frustrated citizens, an influx of people from other nations, and so on. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I'm going to read that again. Wild place, Right? Filled with political chaos, poverty, people trying to live the Roman dream, frustrated citizens, an influx of people from other nations, and so on. Okay, good. I'm sure you're catching the picture, right? A piece of wisdom from the letter to Rome that I want to highlight is Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul says this, For the kingdom of God is not of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Did you catch that? This wisdom comes... On the heels of the Apostle Paul talking about submission to the secular king, Romans chapter 13, you just go back one chapter. And the believer's freedom, which also is a very hot, debatable topic in the Christian church. You know, what are you free to do? How are you free to live your life? Everybody wants to judge everybody's lives. And Romans chapter 14 actually clarifies that for us. It tells you about the believer's permission, the believer's, what what the believer should look like. The kingdom of God is beyond earthly things. We are called to be a people whose mind are not set on everyday things, eating and drinking all the very basic elements of life. But instead, we're called to be a people that are bringing out the things of God. 
the things that lead to righteousness, the things that lead to peace, the things that lead to joy. That's our role. Not everyday things. We shouldn't be an everyday type of people. And then in the Holy Spirit reminds us that we should not be expecting these things from the world. I get frustrated with people that say, but the world, one day the world won't look like this. Well, what do you expect the world to look like? It's going to be wicked, and it's going to be righteous. There's going to be righteousness in the midst of wicked. There's going to be light in the midst of darkness. That's an eternal principle. It'll always be that way. We need to get comfortable with that. Right? We need to become comfortable with that. We need to stop expecting the world to, give, to provide the things that we, the people of God, are supposed to be providing. In the Holy Spirit comes righteousness, joy, and peace. Not let's wait for the day that Jesus comes and brings righteousness, peace, and joy. No, no. I'm going to read the verse. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. That's our portion. I always love when I read the last two chapters of Revelation because, you know, the last two chapters are the fulfilled reality of what everything looks like at the end. And sure enough, it, there's a couple things that stand there. His servants will see him. That's what it says in Revelation 22. His servants will see him. His servants will see the love, the peace, the righteousness, the joy of God. Not the world. His servants will see him. His servants will serve him. I know a lot of people get frustrated that the world isn't serving God. His servants will serve him. Those are the last two chapters of Revelation. You have his servants seeing him and you have his servants serving him. Not not everyone. We need to stop expecting the world to produce that. So, again, I'm speaking to us Christians. That's what I'm speaking to this morning. This isn't a message for the world. This is a message for the Christians to exemplify what we're called to bring forth those greater things that we are called to bring forth. We are a very group of different individuals right here at this church. Look around. I mean, we're, we're a different group of people. I mean, look, I guess just look forward, right? I can just say that. Um, called out of the world to be an assembly for God. That's what we are called to do. We're called out of the world to be an assembly that would exemplify the truth of God. Our natural bond, I mean, I, I know my natural bond with everybody in our church, sometimes doesn't make sense. I, I look around, I'm like, these, these are the people that are in my life. This is awesome. Look at this. God is good. God could, only God could knit this together. Get to know us, right? And then you'll really understand that God, only God could knit us together. So the church has always been that way. It's always called different types of people to come and try to exhibit the, to come together to exhibit the truth of God, the wisdom of God, the strength of God. We have many different backgrounds here, many different lifestyles, many different types of people. Dare I say many different individual perspectives. We do. There's different thoughts in here. I'll guarantee it. I could pick some hot topics and go around the room, and you'd see very quickly that we have some different, different opinions. Glory to God. Glory to God that we have different opinions. You see, now, now I'm going to move us from we need to have the truth of God as the one, one thing. We know that, Jesus, right? But now let's talk about individual perspectives because let's face it. In our, in our political climate, in our social climate, and everything else, that's really where the rubber meets the road, is are we allowed to have individual perspectives? Are you allowed to think different than me? Being as honest as it is, it surely makes it a bit tricky, doesn't it? When, uh, so I'm saying that we're allowed to have different opinions as a church that has a mission. We have a mission. Our mission is to bring forth the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit to this world. So being that we have a mission, it gets frustrating when I say, but now we have different perspectives within the mission, Oh, boy. And then you wonder, you know, as I did this week, I prayed, I said, but God, can this be done? Can this really be done? Can your mission carry forward with a church that has people that may have a little bit different of a position on certain topics? Because they're out there. They're here. They're, they're not out there. They're in here. I'll let you know that right now. And I think most of you know it. They're right here with us right now. So I want you to follow me on this. We have one mission to glorify Christ, to preach the good news, moving the world away from the clutches of carnality to life and peace in him. I think we are all in cahoots on that. However, let's face it. Even in this little outpost, we do disagree. 
We have some vast differences on what our political, social, and sometimes our religious scene should look like. We do. We differ. As a pastor and as a network coordinator for what seems to be a reformation taking place in the Christian church, this definitely becomes frustrating. So I want to challenge you this morning. Are we allowed to have some differences in political matters, social matters, individual religious affairs? If so, how do we move forward as the people of God? It seems like chaos. It seems like I'm fostering a rather chaotic understanding of the mission of God. Or is this church supposed to agree 100% on everything? We just have to agree. So I want to use a word this morning, the word moderation, which actually, as I looked it up and I began to use that word in, in certain conversations, people said, even that word gets tricky. Moderate? Anybody in this house know the, the word moderate? Right? You've seen it on the news lately? Moderate is a big political word. But for me, I'm not using a political word this morning. I'm using the word moderation. The Greek word is epikaios, which means to be fair, equitable, gentle. Some verses that readily come to mind is Philippians 4, 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Let your moderation be known unto all men. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. And every man that strives for the mastery, for strives for mastery is moderate in all things. The Apostle Paul talking about fighting the good fight. Right? Strive for a moderation. Strive for, to use the definition, to be fair, to be equitable, to be gentle. Strive for that. And then a favorite of mine, Proverbs chapter 25. This demonstrates the reality of moderation, not necessarily the words not there. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So we're supposed to be a people that are in control. So when you're getting in those political conversations, when you're getting in those uh, social conversations, when you're getting in those religious conversations, are you a person that demonstrates moderation? Do you demonstrate being fair, equitable, gentle? Are you in control, like a strong tower? Or do you feel like you're ripping at the seams and ready to go crazy? You know, that's what we need to challenge ourselves. We need to think. Because, again, we can't move forward as a people that have these different views and not become a people that are using moderation, that are not being gentle. And I'll tell you, because I see it. I see it out there. The world's not moderate. I'm sure we all know that, right? The world is not using moderation. So I want to challenge you. Are you using moderation? Are you showing moderation to all men? Is that what you're doing by heeding Philippians chapter 4, verse 5? Are you in control of your spirit? So... Again, I highlighted political stuff. We all know the issues that we're dealing with. Another issue the people of God run into is, uh, is zeal based not on knowledge. But before I go there, I, w- I just want to say, I'm going to give you a couple pointers on how I do this in my life, how I find out if I'm using moderation. I find myself in a lot of conversations. Like a lot of conversations I generally don't agree with what might be being thrown back at me. And I ask myself, am I really listening? Or am I just ready to shut up, shut up, I don't want to hear it, I'm just ready to say what I have to say. Or am I listening to this person? Am I genuinely hearing what they have to say? I want to ask you when you find yourself in conversations where you might not agree, are you genuinely listening? Or are you just trying to wait? Like, all right, shut up, so I got got something to say. Because I see it, and usually it's noticeable, just to let you know that. It's noticeable. Or am I trying to force a a point? That's not being moderate when you're trying to force a point. You know, sometimes people are not ready for the truth that you're giving them. Sometimes they're never going to accept it. Maybe it's not truth. I don't know. But um, what we need to do is we need to say, if, if you feel that you find yourself in a situation where you're forcing your point, you are laboring that, that issue, let go of it. You're not being moderate. You're, you're not. Even if you feel you're doing the due diligence of God, you're like a street preacher. You know, because I've been there. I've been that street preacher that was like, oh, I need to get this person to receive Jesus right now, though. No, no. We're called to be a people that are demonstrating a moderation, that we're equitable, we're fair, we're decent. We're not annoying. I mean, hey, I'll just say it for what it is. We're not called to be annoying. 
And then another thing I ask myself is, am I even talking about the same thing this person's talking about? I mean, come on, you've been in some of these political conversations where I'm like, no, we're not even talking about the same thing anymore. You're, you're talking about something totally different than me. And usually that's when I remind myself, maybe I need to move on to a different issue. Right? Maybe I need to just move on. It, it, maybe I need to stop trying to labor this point. So hopefully I spoke to you about those points. Maybe, maybe you need to develop them, because I know I do. I'll be the first one to admit it. I know I need to develop it. So I want to talk about what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 2 through 3. He says, the people of God, talking about the Jews at this time, they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish it on their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The people of God still have this problem. We still have this problem. We, how often I hear people talking about things they don't know. If you don't know about it, don't talk about it. You know, that's fine. Just, just be quiet. Do not demonstrate a zeal that you, without knowledge. A zeal without knowledge is what killed Jesus. Zeal without knowledge. We are the people of God, and we're going to kill that heretic. That heretic was righteousness in your midst. So if you don't know about it, don't talk about it. Have a zeal that's empowered by knowledge. That's what we want to be. I pray that as the people of God, when we look to the world and maybe become a bit frustrated, that we would move toward that moderation, that we would be an equitable, fair people. I know we have that here at Blue Point Bible Church, and I pray that the larger Christian church would continuously be impacted by that, what I like to call a zeal empowered by knowledge. Not a zeal without knowledge, a zeal empowered by knowledge. A thinking faith, what we like to exemplify here at Blue Point, and thus bringing about the greater things that this world needs. That's how we do it, by being a moderate people, by being a people that are being as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We need zeal. Let's be clear. We need zeal. I want to begin to come to a close by highlighting some of the words that, of a man that I feel had lived out this moderation beautifully. Many of you know him. If you looked at the front of your bulletin, you're not surprised. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm not going to get into his whole life story. Um, again, you're talking about a man that went up against a lot of evils in Nazi Germany. And he, he lived the testimony. He died as a martyr. He was hung by the gallows by the Nazis um, for what they said was trying to conspire to kill Adolf Hitler. The man was a pastor, did, did his due diligence of trying to serve the people of God. One of the things that always stands out to me is that he was brought to America for freedom and safety, and yet he said, I can't stay here when my people are dealing with chaos. And he had to go back to his people. I mean, again, you're talking about a man that lived it. You talk about moderation, being fair and equitable. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So... Bonhoeffer once said, silence in the face of evil is ev itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is not to act. Or not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. So what I wanna, the reason why I'm bringing that up is we all have issues that we know are evil. Things that we might be fighting against, whether it's local politics, whether it's government politics, whether it's social atmosphere. We have things that we know are evil. I'm going to ask that you, when you're talking about those evil things, speak with moderation. Be fair. Be equitable. Make sure you're listening to the other side. Make sure you're really having the same conversation when you're talking about evil things. Because how often do I find myself, I'm trying to say one thing's evil. This person's talking about something totally different, but thinking we're even having the same conversation about evil things. We're not. So it just gets frustrating. Speak the truth with love. You've got to speak against evils, yes, but speak the truth with love. And be convicted and do it. And even if people come against you, even if the other people of God come against you, stick it out. Fight. Because silence is, is evil. Amen. Bonhoeffer knew the Christian church was called to greater things. They say, they say at the age of 14, Dietrich Bonhoeffer remarked he wanted to be a pastor. And, of course, somebody turned around and scoffed at him and said, the church is in shambles. Why would you want to be a pastor? That's the worst thing to do. You know, his father was like, you know, we got money. We're in psychology. We, there's a lot better things for you to do, child. Bonhoeffer's response, which I love, was, well, in that case, I'll have to reform it. I'll have to fix the church. Okay, great. So Bonhoeffer spoke 
about the role of a Christian to be those that are called upon to share in God's suffering at the hands of a godless world. Thus, we must really live in a godless world and try not to cover it up or transfigure the godliness into some fake religion. You see, because that's what we try to do. We try to like religion, create religion out of the world and make the good things good by just kind of covering them up or trying to create some behavior modification. No. We need to be in the world, listening to the world, knowing the world, suffering with the world. That way we could speak to the issues the world's suffering with. Amen? In the Apostle John's revelation, he highlights this reality by saying, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do what is right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. That's Revelation 22.11. That's our world. Let the people serve the idols they want to serve. Prayerfully, I have stimulated you to look to the people of God for the solutions, not the world. Furthermore, for us to be the people of God embodying those solutions, it's not an easy road forward. It's not. It's one that requires our decrease and his increase. Always. Here's my last quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer for us. Satan's desire is to turn me in on myself to the extent that I become enslaved and become a destructive force in the community. The thrust of Jesus Christ is the opposite, to enhance my freedom so that I can become a creative force of love. It is the spirit of self-centeredness and selfishness versus the spirit of openness and self-sacrifice for the good of others. That's the moderation that we are called to show this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you go before us in your work. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your truth, that we would be a community that is built up by your truth, that we would demonstrate that truth with love, Lord, that you would give us a spirit, a a gentle spirit, Lord, a spirit that desires to study to show ourselves approved, that we would rightly divide your truth, that we would offer the world the true gospel and nothing else. Lord, we magnify your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, I'm going to uh, invite our ushers to come forward, and we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper.